Well, good morning. If you would uh, look in your Bible to Exodus 35, and if you're at home and you have one of the Pew Bibles, it's on page 75 in the text. And our uh, text for this morning will be chapters 35 through chapter 40. This is the uh, sixth of six sermons through the book of Exodus. And while this is a lengthy passage, uh, we uh, will not read all of it for our uh, reading of the scripture. But uh, what I want to do is read a few verses in chapter 35, and then we'll move to chapter 40 and read a few verses. And so in chapter 35, beginning at verse 4, and I want to read through verse 9, um, and then we'll move to chapter 40 and begin at verse 34 and read through verse 38. This will give us the introduction and the conclusion to this text on the tabernacle. And so if you have your Bible, then let's look together at Exodus 35, beginning in verse 4. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is a thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple, the scarlet yarns of fine twine linen, goat's hair, tan ram skins, and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, and onyx stones, and stones for setting for the ephod, and for the breastpiece. And then in chapter 40, uh, looking at verse 34 and following, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle throughout all their journeys. When the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this wonderful book of the Bible and for the privilege that you've given us of uh, studying through it, preaching through it, listening to it. And I pray that all of your purpose would be accomplished in the book of Exodus. And that we might be a people who love and appreciate and are thankful for your relentless pursuit to show us your unveiled glory. May that be the treasure of our lives and the anticipation of our lives to see your glory unhindered forever. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 
Much real estate is given to the tabernacle in the book of Exodus. The tabernacle narrative stretches from chapter 24, verse 12, all the way to the very end of the book, chapter 40, verse 38. That's 16 chapters and some change. That translates to over 40% of the book of Exodus devoted to the tabernacle. Now, this bit of trivia is important in understanding the message of the book of Exodus. If someone asks you, what is the message of Exodus? If you're like me, you would probably say it's about uh, plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea and the defeat of Pharaoh and his army. Probably, most of us would not say the message of Exodus cannot be understood apart from the tabernacle. Now, that's why in this series of six sermons, half of those have been dedicated to the tabernacle narrative. So what are we to learn from the tabernacle material? Now, that's an important question when you realize that the material in chapters 25 through 31 are largely repeated in chapters 35 through 40. There are some differences, but largely chapters 25 through 31 consist of instructions for building the tabernacle, and 35 through 40 consist of the actual building of the tabernacle. Why the extensive repetition? And what are we being taught in the tabernacle material? Now, the thing, same things that I said in uh, our sermon on chapters 25 through 31 are equally applicable here. But there uh, are some additional things that we can glean from the completion of the tabernacle, which these chapters are devoted to, to help us know God better in keeping with the theme of the book of Exodus of God making himself known. And so uh, as we look at this, I want us to notice, first of all, that the tabernacle is about the God who is present and forgives sin. The tabernacle is about the God who is present and forgives sin. In our uh, earlier reading of the text, we read from chapter 40, verses 34 through 38, of the cloud covering the tent of meeting and the glory presence of God filling the holy of holies. What we learn from this is that the God who will be known is the God who will also be present with his people. This tells us a lot about God. He not only is the God who is shrouded in the cloud on Mount Sinai so that even the base of the mountain could not be touched for the glory of God. He is the God whose glory presence settled in the tent right in the middle of the Israelite camp. Now, every Israelite can come within 75 feet of the glory presence of God. That generation of Israelites lived under the cloud. And so we read in the text that the cloud was there and it was there throughout all of their journeys. They lived under the glory cloud of God's presence. Now, the arrangement 
of the tabernacle material all the way from chapter 24, verse 12 through chapter 40, verse 38 is meant to be instructive. It comes in the form of a chiasmus. Now, we've often heard Aaron talk about a chiasmus. And so what we have then uh, in this text is in the instructions to building the tabernacle uh, in chapters 25 through 31, then we have the interruption of the building with the golden calf event in chapters 32 through 34. And now we come to the construction of the tabernacle in chapters 35 through 40. And it's this arrangement, this V-shaped arrangement with, if you will, the instructions for building the tabernacle, the construction of the tabernacle, and right in the middle is the golden calf event. So without the narrative of the golden calf, we cannot understand the tabernacle. It is in the calf that Israel's sin is brought into focus and dealt with. We're no longer dealing with the Egyptians and their oppressive scheme. The real issue in the book of Exodus is not so much Egyptian slavery, but it is the issue of the slavery of sin. And so we are going to see that issue dealt with in the tabernacle. God is dealing with Israel's idolatrous heart. So the question of the book of Exodus then is how can the holy God be known by and live among a sinful people? The tabernacle answers that question. On the mountain, God instructed Moses in chapter 25 verse 8, let them build me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. And then we read in chapter 40, verse 34 through 38, that the glory cloud settled on the tent. So how the tabernacle answers the question of how a holy God can dwell among a sinful people is revealed in the calf narrative. He will forgive their sin after they sinned against God. God made himself known to Moses in chapter 34, verse 7. And he said, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. The tabernacle introduces us to the God who forgives sin. And so when you think about the scope of biblical revelation, this is where it's come to. He is a God who will forgive our sin. And so we learn in the tabernacle material that God is holy. Sin is a great offense to his holiness. And the basis of our standing before him is solely his gracious kindness toward us. So now we know that the tabernacle is not the final answer to the issue of sin, to the issue of a holy God dwelling among a sinful people. Rather, the tabernacle points to the final answer. And so revelation in the Bible is progressive. The revelation of God is progressive. We learn more and more of who he is and his plan of redemption until we get to Christ. 
The tabernacle is the clearest Old Testament anticipation of the incarnation of the Son of God to be found in the Old Testament. Christ is the tabernacle. He fulfills it in every way. He is the high priest, the sin offering, and the God who is propitiated. He is the basin where we only need to wash our hands and feet after we've passed the altar of burnt offering. He is the lampstand in whose light we walk. He is the incense and veil in his incarnation and the God who is present within the veil whose blood is sprinkled on the mercy seat. So we see in the tabernacle the God who is present and the God who forgives sin, first of all. And then secondly, I want us to see that the tabernacle shows us God desires obedience to his word. God desires obedience to his word. The meticulous repetition of the tabernacle material in Exodus 25 through 31 and then in chapters 35 through 40 makes unmistakably clear that the building of the tabernacle is in obedience to the word of God. The most repeated phrase in chapters 35 through 40, repeated uh, 25 times at least, is something to the effect of as the Lord has commanded or as the Lord has commanded Moses, some rendition of that phrase. We could reduce the construction of the tabernacle to nine basic items. That's what Moses does in, uh, in this construction text. He, re- he reduces it to nine basic items. The tent, the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, the basin, the courtyard, and the priestly garment. Now it's interesting that in, uh, in chapters 25 through 31... Those chapters, all of those chapters are dedicated to an extensive description and instructions for making those items. And they're listed one time. But when you come to chapters 35 through 40, those nine items are listed five times. There are five lists. For example, in chapter 35, verses 10 through 19, there is a list of those nine things. And then in chapter 36, verse 8, all the way through uh, chapter 39, verse 30, there is an extensive list where the things are actually built. And then uh, in chapter 39, verse 33 through 41, we're told again that these things were finished, all in obedience to the command of God. And then in chapter 40, verses 1 through 15, the nine items are listed again uh, when Moses is told to actually put the things together. And then again in chapter 40, verses 18 through 33, the last listing of those nine items is when Moses actually put them together. And so the purpose of the repetition seems to be to emphasize Israel's meticulous obedience to the Word of God. Now, why is obedience so emphasized? Now, I think there's a few things that we learn about the place of obedience in the presence of God in this tabernacle narrative. 
And so as we think about obedience, I want us to see that I think the text is showing us obedience is how we move forward in faith after repentance. The emphasis on obedience confirms that Israel's repentance and the renewal of the covenant that took place in chapter 34 on the hills of the calf uh, event, it shows us that their repentance was genuine because they moved forward in obedience. And so in chapter 35, uh, in verses one, in fact, uh, in, uh, in B part of verse 1, we can see that Moses assembled the congregation and he said, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you. And when he says that then, he repeats the Sabbath command. The Sabbath command was the very last thing he said at the end of chapter 31. And it's the very first thing he says at the beginning of chapter 35. And what's in between those two Sabbath commands is the golden calf event. And so the golden calf then becomes as an interruption to this tabernacle narrative to show us how God will deal with sin and how Israel repented of their sin and was restored. And that Moses ended on the Sabbath and began on the Sabbath seems to be like Moses is saying, okay, as I was saying before I was so rudely interrupted by your sin. So how do we move forward after sin? Moses seems to take up right where he left off before the sinful detour. Wallowing in guilt and shame will accomplish nothing toward godliness and obedience. It seems our tendency is to wallow in guilt and shame and self-condemnation. Why don't we just rest in the Scripture? The scripture says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, it says if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. If you're bound by the guilt and shame of former sin, I want to ask whose voice are you listening to? The devil will entice you to sin and then condemn you for it. People will remind you of your sin. But the word of God says, I will remember your sin no more. The way we move forward from sin is in obedience to the word of God. Now I want you to notice also about obedience that God gives us everything we need to obey. I opened by reading uh, from chapter 35, verses 4 through 9, about the contribution that the Lord had commanded uh, for the materials for building uh, the tabernacle. And so uh, this uh, section on contributions is bookended by verse 4, where Moses said to the congregation, the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. And then if you move all the way uh, then to verse 29 of that same chapter, you see the other bookend. Uh, after people had given their contributions, all the men and women... The people of Israel whose hearts were moved to bring anything for the work the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. 
Now, although Moses commanded the contribution, uh, the freeness of the giving is emphasized in the text. In fact, they so freely gave that chapter 36, verses 6 and 7, tells us that they had to be told to stop giving. God had so worked in their hearts, and their hearts were so for God that they gave and gave and gave. Now, do you ever wonder where Israel got the stuff to give? Where did they get the riches to give, to give gold and precious stones and fine linen, all of those things? Well, God had told Moses way back in Exodus 3 that when uh, he delivered them from slavery that they would plunder the Egyptians. They would just ask their neighbors for things, and their neighbors would give them things as they left. And then in chapter 12, uh, that's reiterated. On the, on the time when they left Egypt, the people of Israel had done as Moses told them. And they asked the Egyptians for silver and gold, jewelry, and for clothing, The Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, says chapter 12, verses 35 through 36. So they let them have what they asked. They plundered the Egyptians. The point is, the Lord gave Israel everything they needed to build the tabernacle. Now, why would the Lord give them everything they need to build the tabernacle and then ask them to give? I think a couple things that that come together. One is opportunity, and the other is their hearts. God would have them participate with him in his mission, in the work that he is accomplishing in the world. God wants their hearts, and so he gave to them, and then he asked them to give. Giving is always about our hearts. Are our hearts with God and for God? He has a mission in the world, and he involves his people in that mission. Our giving tells us if our hearts are after what God is about in the world. God gives us everything we need to obey. Now, also about obedience, I think we can see that it's done in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is an interesting part uh, of the text in chapters 35, in verse 30 and 31. There's a man named Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And uh, God filled him with the Spirit of God to oversee the artistic design of the tabernacle. Now, he also appointed a, a holy ab to help Bezalel. And then God gave skill, says chapter 36, verse 1, uh, to many craftsmen to work on, uh, on the tabernacle. Now, what I want us to see, uh, and, and I'll come back to the Spirit uh, at a later point in the sermon, but what I want to see, uh, what I want us to see at this point in this text is the Lord gave Spirit-inspired skill, Spirit-empowered skill to do the work that he commanded them to do. And so I want you to see in chapter 36, verse 1, a convergence of the Spirit of God and the Word of God. 
For the Spirit, the enabling of the Spirit flows along the channel of the Word of God. Now notice chapter 36, verse 1. Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. So the Spirit and the Word converging in the people of God to accomplish the purpose of God. We never have to wonder if the Spirit wants us to obey the Word of God. So if we follow an inner voice, some inner voice that tells us something contrary to the Word of God... Maybe that's a familiar voice to us, and maybe sometimes we have trouble distinguishing, is this the voice of God, or is this just me, or, or whom is it? Well, the, the acid test is, what does the Word of God say? And so if we have an inner voice that tells us something contrary to the Word of God, it's not the Spirit of God, it is the enemy, no matter how reasonable it sounds. Now, while the filling of the Spirit is rare in the Old Testament, it is the norm for the church. Everyone in the church has been given the Spirit of God. There's no one who can say, I'm not empowered to serve. I'm not empowered to obey. The gifts of the Spirit serve the church. Therefore, the building and the upbuilding and the edifying of the body The church is not to serve your gifts, but your gifts are to serve the church. In the church, we're called to pursue love and to earnestly desire spiritual gifts in order that we may serve and upbuild our brothers and sisters in Christ and edify them. No one has the gift of tearing down. That's not a spiritual gift. That's not from the Spirit of God. But we have the gift of upbuilding and encouraging so that the church is is poised in faith for the work of God in the world. And so we don't bring our agenda and our strengths to the church primarily, but we ask this question before God. What does the church need? Where is there any lack? And where there's lack, we pray, Oh God, give me the Spirit and give me gifts that I may meet this need in the body of my brothers and sisters for your glory. And so we see a few things then about obedience in this text. Obedience to the Word of God. God desires obedience to His Word. The God who is present and the God who forgives sin is the God who says, you must obey. Now third, I want you to notice that the tabernacle uh, points to the new creation in which God will dwell with his people in unveiled glory. The tabernacle points to the new creation in which God will dwell with his people in his unveiled glory. The tabernacle unmistakably shows the mission of God. He relentlessly pursues his aim of his people being in his unveiled glory presence in the new creation. The unveiled glory presence was man's experience in Eden. Can you imagine Adam walking with God in the garden in the cool of the day? 
Since the fall of mankind into sin, however, God has been pursuing the restoration of all things that we might be in His unveiled glory presence and behold His glory and be transformed by the very glory of God. Therefore, uh, because that is God's relentless pursuit, it's not surprising that in the tabernacle is seen echoes of creation. The echoes are pointers to where we're going. We're going to new creation. Now, the types and shadows in the Bible typically have a historical fulfillment, a present fulfillment, and a future fulfillment. And I think we see that in the tabernacle. Uh, Concerning its historical fulfillment, the tabernacle was the meeting place of God and Israel. There God dwelled among his people. Creation themes fill the book of Exodus from the very beginning. They're too numerous to mention. The point is, however, that God is doing a creative work, or rather a recreative work, in the book of Exodus. This is part part and parcel of what God is doing to transform this world and, and create the new heavens and the new earth and to bring his people into the express image of his own dear son. Now, what I want to show you is how you can clearly see this echo of creation in this tabernacle text. And so, for example, in chapter 39, if you, uh, if you look at verses 32 through 43, which is one of the lists of the nine items that... Uh, of which the tabernacle consisted. If you look at that, it's bookended uh, by some uh, very powerful words that bring to mind to us the creation of the heavens and the earth. And so look at verse 32 then. It says, Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished, and the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. And then when you go to verse 42 and 43, the bookend of that uh, paragraph in the Scripture, it says, according to all the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it. As the Lord had commanded, so had they done it. Then Moses blessed them. So in Exodus, we hear the echo of the creation account. Now, I want to point it out to you very specifically. For in Genesis one thirty one, the text says, God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And then in chapter uh, 39, verse 43 of Exodus, it says, Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded, so they had done it. Now, do you hear the echo of Genesis? Behold, they had done it. Behold, it was good. In Genesis 2, 1, the text says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. And then in 39, verse 32, it says, Thus 
All the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished, echoing that language of Genesis, which is to, re- which is to cue us to what God is doing in the tabernacle. In Genesis 2-2, the text says God finished his work, which he had done. And then in chapter 40, verse 33, it says, So Moses, the very last part of that verse, So Moses finished the work. After the creation of man in uh, Genesis 1-28, the text says, And God blessed them. And then when God had finished all his work of creation in Genesis 2-3, it says, so God blessed the seventh day. And then in 39-43, when Israel had done all the work that God had commanded them to do, you hear the echo of that. It says, then Moses blessed them. Now, there's one other echo of uh, creation that I want to emphasize, and I told you I would come back to it, and that's concerning the Spirit of God and His work in Bezalel, giving Him skill, intelligence, knowledge, and craftsmanship to make the tabernacle. So says chapter 35, verses 30 and 31. The echoes of the Spirit's creative work in, uh, in Genesis 1-2 can be heard here. The Spirit of God hovered over the deep. And we see that then this creative acti- activity of God brought shape and form to everything. So the detail, order, beauty, and reflection of the glory of God in creation... Is the divine artist's signature on his work. The same spirit brought those same qualities to the tabernacle through the agency of a man, Bezalel, the first spirit-filled man in the Bible. In the historical function of the tabernacle, however, we have a hint that all things are not as they should be. When the cloud settled on the tabernacle and the glory presence of Yahweh filled it, Moses was not able to enter the tent. Look in chapter 40, verse 35. So the glory cloud in verse 34 fills the tabernacle. And then verse 35, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, it's a bit odd because the stated mission of the tabernacle is that the Lord may dwell in the midst of his people. However, the tabernacle suggests that the Lord still cannot dwell directly among his people. That generation of Israelites lived under the cloud of God's glory presence, but there was a level of separation And there was separation because the problem of sin remained. God is holy and sin is serious. And so we're going to see uh, as as we trek through uh, Leviticus, God willing at some point, we're going to see uh, this question, the sin question began to be answered in the function of the tabernacle among the people of God. 
But still, God intends to dwell among his people without a temple. And so the, the reason why in Revelation you read about uh, there's no temple in the new heavens and the new earth is because there will be no more sin and there will be no more separation between God and his unveiled glory presence and his people will dwell with him and he will dwell with us. And so the tabernacle points to that. So there's a past fulfillment and then there is a present fulfillment of the tabernacle. The present fulfillment of the tabernacle is seen in Jesus and the church. Now, we're all familiar with John drawing on tabernacle language in John 1.14 when he's speaking about the eternal word who was God and was with God, became flesh and dwelt among us or tabernacled among us, and we have seen his glory as of the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so Jesus, Jesus fulfills the tabernacle presently. Again, it was the Spirit of God who prepared the tabernacle of flesh for the eternal Son of God when He came upon Mary. Uh, it just harkens back to when God made Adam in His own image and He formed the dust of the ground and He breathed His breath, the Ruach of God, the Spirit of God into that first Adam. And so here we see the second Adam that is created by the power of the Spirit of God. And it's the Spirit of God who empowered His ministry, who came on Him at His baptism. And it's the Spirit of God who raised Him from the dead. In His death, He dealt with sin once for all. The veil of separation has been removed. And now, if you remember when Lee preached through Hebrews again and again and again, we hear this wonderful language, draw near to God. And so we draw near to God. It is the working of the Spirit of God through the Word of God that brings the church into existence for a dwelling place for God. Ephesians 2.22 says, In Him we are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so as in the tabernacle, the Spirit of God builds the church, the new temple of God fills and equips not just one, but every member to set on display the glory of God in the world. He is the master designer who orders and beautifies the church with the glory of God. And how we long, how we long for the church gathered in this place in these days because of the reflection of the glory of God among us through the people of God by the power of the Spirit of God. And then there's a future fulfillment of the tabernacle as it echoes and points to the coming of the new heaven and the new earth, the echoes from one point of revelation to another, from the tabernacle to the incarnation to the new heavens and new earth are unsurprising. story of God fits together. The story of His mission fits together throughout all of the Scripture. And once you see it, you can never unsee it. The future fulfillment of the tabernacle is when all things are made new. When we, when we hear God say, Behold, I am making all things new. And 
God will dwell with His people in unveiled glory because their sin is finally and forever removed from them as they stand in reflection of the glory of the Son of God who's been raised from the dead, reflecting His own image. So the whole world then will become what the tabernacle only pointed to, the place where God dwells with his people. What a wonderful story, this story of the tabernacle. Uh, thank God that he gave us this wonderful, wonderful story so that we might see he is the God who is present and forgives our sin and enables us to obey. And he's the God who will not leave us even in the middle of a pandemic, but he will raise us from the dead and we will live forever in his unveiled glory, presence in a new heaven and a new earth. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this text. And uh, my, what a wonderful, wonderful text it is. And I pray that uh, through the study of it and the preaching of it and the reading of it, that your people may be encouraged, may be encouraged to hope in you and to trust in you uh, and to be thankful that you are the God who relentlessly pursues your people, that you may behold the reflection of your own glory in redeemed sinners. So we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.